If you would, turn to the Bible to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we are moving right along through the prologue, this introduction. We've come now to the final section of it. Uh, These 18 verses that begin John's gospel have so much in them uh, that it feels like we could just keep going and going and going and going. And so uh, I'm I'm wrestling with how much attention do we give to it. I believe this is our fifth message already here in John chapter 1, and I hope you've been learning from it. It's really a good one. One of the things that I have said now a few times is that the gospel of John is written with the simplest Greek in the whole New Testament. The New Testament is written in Greek. The gospel of John is written with the simplest Greek in the whole New Testament, and yet this prologue of John contains the deepest truths of the whole New Testament. There's something profound about that just right there. The biggest things for us to learn about God come in the simplest package of being intellectual or, or something like that. It's plain spoken terminology, but it is rich for us. Today we're gonna look at verses 14 through 18, and in your bulletin you see that uh, I'm calling this seeing his glory and receiving his grace. We don't want to say that any part of the prologue is more important than the other. It is all teaching us some heavy, heavy, heavy stuff that we need to understand. But when you get to 14 through 18, you see that this is all coming together, and John has a purpose in his writing. Not only does John have a purpose in the prologue here, but we remember that John tells us later on in John that these things were written so that you would believe. The reason why he wrote his gospel is that people like us who read it or show up to church to hear it would come to the place where we surrender our lives and we ask God for forgiveness and we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of our lives and we say, I want to follow him. I want to be a committed Christian. This is why John was written. And you're gonna see this emphasized even here today as he just lifts Christ High. He, he magnifies Christ. He puts Jesus here in the clearest way on display uh, for us to believe in him. Read with me, if you will, at John chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus Christ is the one who is the word in the flesh. He is the living word. He is the truth of God to be seen, to be observed, to be experienced, to be learned from. Jesus Christ is the one who reveals the one true and living God to the world. John is bringing this all to a a, a wrap-up, to a closing in these first 18 verses. Verse 19 will start off in the, the story, the account, the testimony of Jesus, who he was, what he did, what he was like. We start that when we start verse 19. This introduction is teaching us that Jesus is God come to us. There's a real sense 
when you talk about God, the one true and living God, the creator God, that we can say, well, where is he? And he's a spirit and we've not seen him, right? All of that is true inside the Godhead when you talk about God the Father or you talk about God the Holy Spirit. But in God's beautiful, masterful plan, the second person of the Trinity, God the eternal Son, eternal Son, took on flesh and became a human being. God didn't start, Jesus didn't start, he's eternal, he's always been, but he hasn't always had a body. And in the incarnation, that beautiful story that we emphasize more so at Christmas, God became like us so that he could save us, so that he could take all of our wrongs, so that he could die on the cross in our place, so that he could take our judgment, take the punishment, This is where we're going here today, seeing his glory and receiving his grace. Three points for you this morning. Number one, for the kids of the listening pages and for those that just like to take notes. I told my sons this morning, I hope you got your notes today because these are some big passages that you need to make sure you're taking notes on. Number one, seeing his glory. God has made it known where human beings far and wide, no matter where you're at, to the uttermost parts of the earth, can know what God is like. We are not out here looking up at the stars at night and wondering, God, if you're real, then show yourself to me, which is what so many human beings try to do. God has not said he is found like that. God has said he is found in the human being Christ that he sent to us seeing his glory. Verse 14 could be argued to be the most important verse in the entire New Testament. Look at verse 14. And the word who John has already clearly shown us is God. Look back at verse one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word is God. But look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. The Almighty God, the glorious God, the one true and living God, wanted to make sure that his glory could be seen. He lives so that we would be glo- so that he would be glorified through us. And in displaying his glory to the world, he did it in this way. He came and made himself seen. He came and made himself visible. Jesus coming to be a man has revealed the glory of God in a real and personal way. This in turn speaks of the glory of the incarnation, that God could even take on flesh, that God could become a man, which he did. It is one of our big beliefs, point of doctrine for us, those that believe the Bible, that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. God became a man. Jesus took on a human flesh without ceasing to be God. This becomes a very key and delicate subject that we need to make sure that we understand. Many a people throughout the history of the world who call themselves Christians and believers have gone wrong, have gone the wrong direction, have even gone off the deep end, have fallen into heresy because they do not understand Jesus. You and I must take it serious, and so here we are. If you can, 
Turn with me to Exodus 33. It's not that hard to find. It's the second book of the Bible. If you start at the beginning, you've got Genesis. There's 50 chapters in Genesis. The next book after that is Exodus. We want you to turn there because I want you to see this. John, as you've been told many times, the New Testament is not just just giving us stuff. The New Testament is so much being built off of the truth that's already been revealed in the Old Testament. To understand the New Testament best, you need to understand the Old Testament. I know that all of us struggle with that a little bit. And so this is why we preach the way we do, and I want to show you this. At Exodus 33, you got Moses and the people of Israel. We're, 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 they're, they're at Mount Sinai. And look at verse 12. Y'all have heard this before, I think, but look at this. Exodus 33, 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, You say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you've said, I know you by name, and and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Stop right there for a second. Moses is talking to God. He's in a relationship with God. He's pleading with God, and he's saying, okay, I understand. We're in a relationship. I found favor. You know me. I know you. You like me. I like you. It's all good. Now, Now, let's do this. Let's go in the right direction, God. I need you to lead me. Look what he says next, verse 14. God says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Verse 15, Moses said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Now, just a little side note. That is a beautiful quote and a prayer you need to remember for the rest of your life. Moses declares right there, I ain't going anywhere without you, God. Don't take me anywhere. Don't send me anywhere if you're not going with me. Verse 17, verse 16. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Several weeks ago, we preached a sermon on uh, being light in the world. And some of y'all remember that not too long ago, being light in the world. And I talked about how uh, once you become a new believer, you learn quickly that the Bible says that you are the light of the world, Matthew 5, 14, right? You are the light of the world, and you learn that, right? But then it's not very long after that, once you start reading your Bible, that you remember that Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world, and it doesn't take much discipleship for you to learn. The only way I'm ever going to be light in this world is if God is seen through me. It's not in my goodness. It's not good works that create light in this world. It is the power of the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ doing good works that creates light in this world, and there's a big difference, and you know that. If you know, you know. Moses understands this. Let me read to you verse 16 again. Look at it. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? Hey, two people being honest in the the light of Jesus in the world. A Christian that's honest and an unbeliever that's honest, both are honest and that's good for the world, but it ain't the light of Jesus. Moses understands this. Moses and the people of Israel going out and walking in obedience to all the ends of the earth isn't gonna make a difference in the world for the glory of God unless God is going and working through them. The church must understand that we're not just good people. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We are witnesses to him. 
Moses says, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Now watch, uh, God answers Moses, verse 17. This very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, here it is. Please show me your glories. Everybody see that? This is what John is talking about. John is talking about this in in the prologue. Look what he says. Moses says, please show me your glory. Verse 19, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. Y'all, God is so glorious and holy. God is so perfect that we cannot look upon his face and see him. We cannot stand in the presence of God. We just sang about when we get to heaven and we see him face to face, and that's a glorious thing because of the salvation that Jesus Christ gives and the forgiveness of sin and the imparted righteousness that he gives to people who believe in him that's his righteousness and not our own. In heaven, we will see God fully, but on this earth, you cannot see God fully, and that's what's happening here. He says, you cannot see my face, verse 20. Man shall not see me and live, verse 21. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This is an incredible passage. If you ever learned this passage years ago or you studied it in Sunday school, you've probably never forgotten. He will hide you in the cleft of the rock. You can see his back, but you can't see his face. God is protecting Moses. God loves Moses. He's going with Moses. He's leading Moses. But he is not going to let Moses see his glory. Moses can't handle that. And John chapter 1, if you'll turn back there now, is picking up on this idea. There would have been no Jewish people in this time that did not 100% know that part of Exodus. Show me your glory is a huge topic for anybody that's under the umbrella of God Almighty. We want the glory of God to be seen. That's our biggest goal. Moses' conversation with God about his glory is an important one for you to remember from Exodus 33. And God showed his glory a little bit, and he hit him from him a little bit, and he hit him in the cleft of the rock, and he turned his back to him and just put his hand over him and all of that. And in John chapter 1, John makes the argument that Jesus Christ is God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3 says, all things were made through him. Jesus is God. And when God took on flesh and became a human Verse 14 says, we have seen his glory. Hallelujah. You can know and see the glory of God by looking to Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. This very phrase here, dwelt among us, He he, he dwelled among us. He took up residence among us. This very phrase literally means he pitched his tent. If you know know about the Old Testament, right, where they set up the tabernacle, where they set up the tent, it means, hey, we're going to live right there. 
The presence of God is going to be right there. We're going to build the tent. That represents the presence of God. And the Bible is using the very same terminology here. And it said Jesus took on flesh. He became a human, and he dwelt among us. God is here. Before we had Jesus on earth, you had to only hear about God. You had to only see what God is doing through places and people. But with Christ becoming a human, the God-man Jesus we see the glory of God. If you wonder about God, if you've got questions about God, if you wanna know what God's like, you have people in your life that wanna know what God's like, we all do, point them to Jesus. In Jesus, we understand God. He is showing the glory of God. There's so many good quotes on this. I want to be careful to not overwhelm you with so many. Tony Evans, in speaking on Jesus showing the glory of God and Jesus being God, he says, Jesus is fully human, so he cried as an infant. But he is fully divine, and so he gave life to his mother. Jesus is fully human, so he had to sleep. But he is fully divine, and he can raise the dead. See, the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. J.C. Ryle, writing some, some time ago, uh, goes into more depth, and I love this quote. Listen to this. Speaking about the word became flesh, he says, the plain meaning of these words is that our divine Savior really took human nature upon him in order to save sinners. This is what God did to save people. This is what God did to deal with your sins and my sins and our sins. This is the solution, and there is no other, to the sin problem in the world. God coming to die for us. He really became, his quote goes on. He really became a man like ourselves in all things, sin only accepted. Like ourselves, he was born of a woman though born in a miraculous manner. Like ourselves, he grew from infancy to boyhood and from boyhood to man's estate, both in wisdom and in stature. Like ourselves, he hungered, thirsted, ate, drank, slept, was wearied, felt pain, wept, rejoiced, marveled, was moved to anger and moved to compassion. Having become flesh and taken a body, he prayed, he read the scriptures, he suffered from temptation, and submitted his human will to the will of God the Father. And finally, in the same body, he really suffered and shed his blood, he really died, and he was really buried. He really rose again, and he really ascended up into heaven, and yet all this time, he was God as well as man. Isn't that an awesome quote? Jesus is showing the glory of God to us. You don't have to wonder what the glorious God is like. You need to look at Jesus. In Galatians 4, that's why it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. It was the plan of God. It's the way God did it. It's not, well, why did he have all this time before the New Testament where, where we couldn't see it so good? No, all of that stuff was type and symbol. All that type of stuff was preparing the way. All that type of stuff was setting us up. It was teaching us and helping us understand things. That scene in Exodus fully helps us understand seeing the glory of God through Jesus. Several years ago, I remember hearing a, 
a guy talk about how much he loves asking questions to little kids. And it's fun. You get around elementary kids and you start asking questions, man, they'll give you all types of good answers. And it's fun to do that. I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll like the kids in your lives and the kids in our church and, and invest in them. And he, he said he was asking them about school. You've got to be careful if you ask kids if they like school. You might, you might hear something that you weren't ready to hear. But he was asking kids, do you, do you like school? Do you like your school? Do you like your teacher? What is it that you like about your teacher? You know, and sometimes they'll say, no, I don't like her, you know. Kids will tell you anything, right? But I've never forgotten this, and it applies to what we're talking about now. I remember one time he said, he asked this kid, who's your favorite teacher in that whole school? And the kid said, oh, I, I love Miss Johnson. He said, okay, why do you like Miss Johnson? And the student said, she sits on the carpet with us. All the other teachers stand up and lecture, but one teacher sits down and gets on their level, sits cross-legged. In the gospel, in the life of Jesus, he pitched his tent. He sat on the carpet, so to speak. He became a human just like you. He cried when his friend died. He felt it when people were done wrong. Jesus came to be like us so that he could be the solution for us. The glory of God is seen in Jesus. That's number one, seeing his glory. Number two, receiving his grace. It's not enough to see his glory. A lot of people do. A lot of people haven't heard of Jesus. We're sending out some people to places where they don't know about Jesus, but there's a lot of people that have, and even though they've seen his glory or understand Jesus or have heard about Jesus, they haven't received his grace. Look what happens at the second half of verse 14. It says, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the Father, and here's our word, grace, full of grace and truth. And then John does something interesting here. He bounces back to John the Baptist. And it's, it's a little bit peculiar why he does this. Remember, verses 6 through 8 are all about John the Baptist. Look at verses 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. I mean, if we take that at face value, there's really no confusion about who John the Baptist is. He's not Jesus, okay? He's a different guy. He's He's not the one. He's not the main one, and we know that. As soon as we get to verse 19 and we keep going through the rest of chapter 1, we get more on John the Baptist, and we understand the story, the narrative, and John the Baptist's role. And so it's a little bit interesting, fascinating, that in just one little verse in this prologue, he bounces back to John the Baptist in verse 15. But what does he say? He says, John bore witness about him, cried out. And he says, this is what John says. He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. If John's whole effort in the prologue is to convince you that Jesus is God and Jesus has come to be your Savior, then making this point just another way when it comes to John is, is brilliant. John is older than Jesus. John was born before Jesus. We've got those stories in the Bible. They were cousins. 
And John is known to many as one of the greatest men to ever live. And John's very words say, he ranks higher than me, even though I came before him because he's before me. If John's trying to, if Jesus is, sorry, if John the apostle is trying to teach us here that Jesus is God, then what a helpful way to do it by saying, John the Baptist is older than him, came before him, but even John the Baptist declared that Jesus is greater than him. So he brings that up there at verse 15, and then we get to verse 16. For from his fullness, don't miss that little phrase. Remember, these aren't big words, so it doesn't necessarily catch your attention. This is an incredible statement. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Do you see that in verse 16? Receiving grace. Verse 14 tells us that Jesus coming, he comes full of grace. Verse 16 tells us that from his coming and from who he is in coming, we are receiving grace. Not only grace, but grace upon grace. There was grace before Jesus. There is grace in the Old Testament sacrificial system. Not enough grace to save you, but grace from God in how he is trying to work in people's lives. And verse 16 teaches us that now you can receive grace from him. It's remarkable. This is pretty heavy here with grace, isn't it? Right here in these few verses in our passage today, you've got four or five mentions of grace. You've got grace in verse 14. You've got grace used twice in verse 16. You look at verse 17. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace, 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 grace. If you were to understand something about Jesus coming, it is God being gracious to the world. Well, in what way? Was it simply that Jesus is just so awesome and so him being here makes the world a better place? Nope. Was it just so awesome that Jesus was so rich and so nice that everybody got to spend time with him and made their world better? Nope. The reason why it is the grace of God, Jesus coming into the world, is because God is going to crucify him on a cross and give his life into death for anybody that would believe. There is overflowing grace. There is marvelous grace. There is grace upon grace through Christ. But it is to be received. And this is one of the masterful truths of, the, of our Bible, is that God didn't come and just pour out grace on the world. God has come and poured out grace on the world through the work that Christ has done on the cross so that you and I would turn from our sins and ask God to forgive us, repent and turn to him and say, God, I, I trust in your grace. Forgive me. And in turning to Jesus, we receive his grace. Now, let me, let me tell you something fascinating. And I don't really have an answer to it, but I want to point it out. After this right here, John doesn't use the word grace again. I don't really know why, but there's got to be some awesome reason why. Paul's letters are filled with grace, right? To know the New Testament epistles, right? Romans and Ephesians and these books. Grace, 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 grace. By grace, you've been saved through faith. I mean, grace is the, the message of the New Testament. God forgives not because you do something good and earn it. God forgives not when you do something to make it right. God forgives on grace. He's just like that. But John 
uses grace four times right here in this passage and then never uses it again. There's no other mention of grace in the Gospel of John, one time in 2 John, one time in Revelation. That's it. Perhaps it's because this study is about Jesus and Jesus is grace. In the fullness of Jesus coming, God has revealed grace. In the fullness of Jesus being in the world, there is grace upon grace. Would you receive it? Would you receive it? As the gospel goes on, we see examples of how God is gracious. And aren't there so many in the gospels? We see examples of how God is gracious through Christ. Jesus tells a story one time of a really religious guy. And Jesus says, he, he prays like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm better than those bad guys. and I, I give money when I'm supposed to give money. And I do these things with fasting because of my religion. And then Jesus says, now compare that guy to this other guy. He's a tax collector. At times he's crooked. He's been dishonest with his stuff. But he prays to God like this. Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says he's so broken that he can't lift his eyes to heaven. Jesus says he's so broken that he beats his chest because he can hardly get the prayer out. And then Jesus says, which one of those two guys you think made it to heaven? And he points out, it was the second one. Because you get to heaven by grace. You don't get to heaven by what you do. Jesus is able to teach right there that that good guy, that religious guy that thinks he's better than people, he can show you all the people in Fairdale that he's better than, and he prays more, and he gives money, and he fasts, he tries to do religious things. Jesus says there's no grace in that guy's life. That guy's not forgiven of his sins. He's not received my grace. It's the person that knows who Jesus is and what he's like and what he's done and what the cross costs and the person that then turns to him on their knees crying out, God, forgive me of my sins. And they know that God does forgive sins because they've studied Jesus and they've heard about him. There's another one where a woman is caught in adultery. There's a couple of these actually. Woman's caught in adultery and everybody else is ready to just blast her. She's shame and she's easy and she's been around and she's been with these many guys and all of this different stuff. The religious people are ready to just eat her up. And Jesus says, well, you're right. I mean, it's wrong. You're right, she's wrong. You're right. So whichever one of y'all have never done wrong, y'all cast the first stone. And nobody does, because they've done wrong too. It's not based off how good you do. It's not based off how bad you are. It's based off the grace of God through the work of Christ on the cross to forgive you. And so when everybody else walks away, Jesus says to her, who condemns you? Nobody, none of these guys. He said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, she has to receive that grace but he makes sure that all those other people who don't understand grace are gone and they're not gonna judge her. And then he makes sure she knows living that grace. There's another one in the New Testament where Peter, his closest apostle, you could say, 
Where Peter declares, Jesus, I'll die for you. I'll do anything for you. I won't let them kill you. There's a time where they come to arrest Jesus, John chapter 18. And Peter pulls out a sword and goes to work and literally swipes his sword at the guys arresting Jesus. He's fighting for Jesus. He's protecting Jesus. You think it's good? He declares his love for Jesus over and over again. He says, I'll die for you. I'll do anything for you. And Jesus says, not so much. You're a little bit too confident. You're trusting in yourself more than you're trusting in grace. You're not in a relationship with me because of how good you are. You're not in a relationship with me based off the strength of your faith. You're not in a relationship with me because how devoted you are. You're gonna deny me three times. And what happens when it gets tense? Once Jesus had been arrested and taken, once everything was turning dark and scary and Jesus wasn't the victor anymore in that little scene, Peter starts to deny him. Didn't want to be associated with Jesus. Told everybody that asked him, no, no, no. I'm not with Jesus. I'm not with Jesus. I don't know him. Never spent time with him. Just lies, denies. He's ashamed. He's embarrassed. He's, he's in a bad spot. But don't you remember the rest of the story? That Jesus receives him back, restores him, teaches him how much he loves him, teaches him that he's for him, He's got grace for him and then empowers him and sends him out. And Peter becomes one of the boldest faithful witnesses to Jesus, even after all of that denial and shame and sinfulness. Why? Because he is filled with grace. Church here today, we don't need to know how good you are. And we don't need to know how bad you are. We don't need to know where you're at on that scale of feeling good about yourself or feeling bad about yourself. But we do want you to admit that you need grace. And we really want the church to be a group of people that understand grace. We're not to be judging each other. We're not to be making life worse on each other. We're to be people that run to Jesus for grace. And in accountability from the church, we help each other run to Jesus for grace. John is teaching us here that in the huge mystery of the incarnation that Jesus came, in his fullness, he reveals the glory of God to us. It was so that you could receive the grace of God. Number one, seeing his glory. Number two, receiving his grace. And number three, knowing his father. Look what it says here in verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So what, what Jesus is doing here in verse 17 is he's doing more than the law could do. The law has a good purpose. The law shows us that we sin. We do not come to the law and say, I love God's law because I always keep it. That is a surefire way for you to show you don't know grace. And listen, I've been around church people a long time. We talk like that, and it's wrong. Everybody hear that? We talk like that when we're having really good days and it's wrong. If your pride comes from how you're so obedient to all God's laws, you're wrong. 
If you're here today and you're kind of new to church, you ain't been around before, and you came in here knowing, man, those church people are some judgmental, uppity, thinking that they're better than everybody else crowd. Listen, I'm, I'm here with you. I'm admitting that on behalf of all of us, and it's wrong. You know God by grace. The law has a purpose there, a good purpose. It shows us that we're sinners. Name any law. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. We've all broken it. Name any law. Don't, don't, don't bear false witness. Everybody here has on some level before. Outwardly, inwardly, you have. We sin. We all do. The law does a good job of showing us that. The law does a good job of showing us that we sin. We all do. You know what came through Jesus? Grace and truth. A way, an opening, forgiveness. So now look at verse 18. No one has ever seen this God, the one true and only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus came to make God known. Jesus came to make God known. To know Jesus is to know God. To not know Jesus is to not know God. You may know some things about God, But to know God is to know Jesus. To know Jesus is to know God. Jesus makes the one true and living God known. Now, the rest of this this gospel, the rest of John's book, uh, 21 chapters, becomes this beautifully well-written account of how Jesus, the God-man, is doing this, how he's explaining God to us, how he's revealing God to humans. And we've got all these stories, and we see him teaching, and we see him acting, we see him loving, we see him being patient, we see his life, and it's showing us how God is in the world. At John chapter 14, it's the passage where he says, uh, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Y'all know that passage, John 14. Well, in, in that passage, you got Thomas doubting. And in that passage, you got Philip questioning. And Jesus says this, John 14. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. See, this is why I love teaching and preaching the Bible. I didn't have to come here this morning with some fascinating story or, 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 or pickup line or catchphrase to leave you inspired. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you will trust in Christ and receive his grace, you will be a child of God. He said that last week. Verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Think about this. John is now concluding his prologue in a very similar way that he began it. Verse 1, John 1.1 is a major push that Jesus is God. He even brought Genesis 1.1 into it in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's Genesis 1.1. Here, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He starts from the jump in saying Jesus is God. But look at verse 18. No one's ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him. 
He wants us to know that we can trust Jesus because of who he is. What he's done works because of who he is. And we are to believe that. C.S. Lewis, speaking about Christianity being believable, says this. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. Christianity, if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Is this true? Is Jesus revealing the glory of God? Is Jesus bringing grace to our lives? Is Jesus making his father known to us? Then believe it. Believe it. You sense and you feel that God is working in you. Then believe it and trust. During the winter months, a little bit colder, days are shorter. We've been playing a little bit more board games. We had, we had some snow days and one of my favorite board games is Guess Who. You like that game, Guess Who? It's an awesome game. It's perfect for dads because it's real short. You can say yes and be done with it in like one minute. And Guess Who, you ask all these questions about the person and try to process of elimination to get down to who it is. But it kind of takes some time to do that. And so every once in a while, in playing Guess Who, just from the jump, I'll just say, is it Michael? I won't say boy or girl, black hair, glasses, beard. I won't ask any of the questions. I'll just guess. Is it Steve? Is it Laura? I'll just guess. And guess what happens? Never get it right. Never get it right. We started playing Clue, too, which is same idea, process of elimination. What room was it? What weapon was it? And who did it, right? And you got this sheet, and it, it's longer. You got you to go through the process of elimination to count out all these different things, but that takes so long. So same thing. We'll start off, and in my first go, I'll be like, all right, here's what I think it is. And you take a shot at it and want to get to those cards, and you know, sometimes you can even say, look at the cards, but that's going to eliminate you from the game. But you never get it right, I never get it right in Guess Who, and I've tried that hundreds of times. I never get it right in Clue, and I've tried that a good handful of times. You won't get God right like that either. You're not going to go out here today, try to be the best person you can be, and shape God into the way you think of him. And everybody you know, apart from faith in Christ, is doing that. Everybody you know, apart from faith in Christ, is doing that. It doesn't work in Guess Who. It doesn't work in Clue. And it for sure does not work in life. You're not going to walk out here, try to be the best person you can be, and shape God into the way you want him to be. You will be discouraged. You'll be empty. You'll be empty. Jesus was sent by God to live among us so that we would know what God is like. Turn to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for seeing his glory, receiving his grace, and knowing his father. We thank you for the prologue of John and all that it teaches us. Father, we pray that we would respond and believe God, thank you that there's grace for us. Thank you, dear God, that there is 
a salvation for us who would turn to you. God, thank you that Jesus is really such a refreshing study. Just to read your word and to read about his life and to know what he's like is so refreshing and life-giving. It's good for us. God, may we live in that by faith. May the way that you're revealing yourself to us through Christ be the faith that we walk by, knowing you for what you're really like. Father, pour your grace into our hearts now that we would respond and turn to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.